We've been talking about uh, community the last couple of weeks, and uh, I think from some rather thought-provoking angles, uh, not straight on for sure, but we must, out of personal necessity, come to this question whenever we talk about community, and, and that is simply this, where do I fit in? What's my place here? I don't know if you pay attention to the uh, Sunday morning loop on the screen. Uh, the promo for the small groups, it says, we have a place for you. Okay? When you're called into the kingdom, you're not just called into this ethereal group of people that wanders around the face of the earth and, you know, does certain Christian things. You're called into the purposes of God. You're called into a, a place. You're called into a destiny. You're called into a journey and a pathway that's been mapped out in the heart of God. So where do I fit in is a really important question to ask. And um, in reading the Gospels, uh, I've discovered that there are several places that, that we fit in in any experience that we have with God, whether that is uh, conversion experience. You know, Jesus has the parable of the sower, and the sower goes out and he sows seed, and, and the seed falls on various types of soil and has various types of impacts uh, in making that connection, you know, and, and people are like that. Sometimes the word comes into someone's heart and and immediately the devil comes, snatches it away. You know, I don't, I don't want anything to do with religion. You know, get out of my face. Or, you know, sometimes it falls on rocky ground and the seed bursts open and there's this little flurry of activity and you see people on two or three weeks there at service. Oh, good to see you again. They're, you know, like magic, they're gone, you know. And, and then there are some that they're around for years and they connect with ministry and things are happening and, you know, they're, they're full on for Jesus and, and then something challenges that, whether it's a relationship or, you know, job situations or the cares of the world come in and, you know, uh, oh, I'd love to come. I can't come to church anymore. I can't be involved in that anymore. I got to do this, you know, and, and it's just like that in the kingdom. You know, there are all these options, if it wasn't that way, if it was just straight line, we really wouldn't have freedom. We'd just get locked into this kind of robotic lifestyle, you know, and it would just be religion, and he really doesn't want that. He wants vibrant relationship, and vibrant relationship and community demands that there be a whole myriad of options, and some of them are really cool and really good and very fruitful and productive, and rah, 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 and some of them stink. You know, and the fact of the matter is, sometimes we take the lousy ones. We take those options, and we, we pay the price, and people, you know, pray and sob and cry and moan and get before the Lord, and and change things around because someone chose an option. And where you fit in community in the kingdom affords you several options. There are several places you can choose to be in. There are several uh, places in community in the kingdom where you might pass through, you know, can be progressive, 
Uh, you might get stuck in a place, and, and my hope today is in reviewing these right out of the Gospels, these different relational connections with the Lord, is that maybe you'll say, ah, dang, that's where I am. and take the option to move on from there. Because really, that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to really examine ourselves, look at ourselves in in the reality of where we're at, and say, all right, Lord, change me. You know, mold me, shape me, conform me into the image of your Son. So the kingdom is always in progressive movement, right? If you're stagnant, if you're not changing, you're dead. You're just lifeless. That's true biologically, and you've heard this before. For men, every five years, every cell in your body has been replaced. For women, it's seven, okay, because of the reproductive stuff that they have. Okay? So once you stop changing... Essentially, you're dead. That's when that whole process starts, and it's the same thing spiritually, right? If you're not changing, guess what? You're not breathing the Spirit. As you breathe in the kingdom, it's going to change you. You connect with God, it's going to change you. It's going to impact you. There must be change, and the more often, the more progression, okay? So, so we're going to look at that. Where do I fit? We're going to start in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Casey is prepared to deliver. There you go. Last one. All right. Luke, chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. And it happened in those days that he, that is Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray, and he was spending the night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples, and he chose twelve of them, who, whom he also named apostles. And it lists all the names. We're going to drop down to verse 17. And coming down with them, all of the apostles, he stood on a level place and a crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all of Judea, Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, were there. Also those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. And all the crowds sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Okay, so there's this massive grouping of all. We're all in the kingdom. Okay? So here we can see four distinct groups of people surrounding the life and activities of Jesus. Right? This never changes. When you come into the church, when you get saved, when you connect with the kingdom, you haven't connected with a religious organization. What you have done is you've been invited in to an ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's what we find here in these scriptures is there are all these people, when Jesus is walking around in the flesh, all these people, crowds, multitudes, and just because all of them. 
and Sidon and Tyre were quite a distance away from where this, this scripture is being walked out. So his, his relational draw was very expansive, even in the natural. Okay. So question again is, where do I fit? And here's, here's the first classification, is the great multitudes are the multitudes. In Matthew 4.23, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read these to you. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse disease and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and... <laughs> I knew there'd be someone who respond to that. <laughs> it's good to be called a lunatic once in a while. <laughs> and those that had palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. In Matthew 14, it says, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Jesus said to them, they don't need to depart. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them to me. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude, and they all ate and were filled. And they took up the fragments, and there were twelve baskets full of fragments. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men plus women and children. So we're probably talking about 11,000 people. That's a great multitude. That's a big group of people, right? It's a great multitude. Matthew 15, 29. Jesus departed from there and came to the Sea of Galilee and went up on a mountain and he sat down. And great multitudes came to him, having with them those that were lame and blind and dumb and maimed and many others, and cast them down at the feet of Jesus, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak and the maimed to be made whole and the lame to walk and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. His disciples said to him, Where are we going to get so much bread in the wilderness to fill this great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves? And they said, We have seven and a few little fish. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fishes, and he gave thanks, and he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude, and they did eat and were all filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets full. Okay. 
Now, you got to understand, there's always enough plus in Jesus. Okay? He never runs out of supply. They did eat and were 4,000 men plus women and children. So you got another 10,000 people he's just fed. Now, for the most part, the multitudes are consumers. Okay? They take in the show, they partake of the food, and they'll go out of their way to do it. You know, some big event is going on, the healer's coming to town, the, the big name, the big speaker, you know, uh, they'll come and they'll get. These are individuals who go through a lot of time, trouble, travel, expense to go to the big name events, but they won't plug into a commit to local church ministry. They are getters more than givers. The multitudes, the great multitudes, are getters. They come, and Jesus said to this, he recognized this dynamic. He said, you come because I've, I've got bread. You know, you know if you come here, you're going to go away full. You know if you come here, you're going to go away healed. You know if you come here, you know, you're not going to be thirsty anymore. You know if you come here, you're going to get comforted. You know if you come here, so come and get, come and get. You know, he, he realized that dynamic was at work. It was not an offense to him. He came to serve. It should not be an offense to us. We are here to serve. Okay? And if you don't have takers, you can't facilitate givers. There has to be a flow. Okay? Jesus sees something in the multitudes. In Matthew 9:36, it says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as, having, as sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So he sees the multitude as a harvest field. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. So when he sees the multitudes, when he sees the takers, the getters, he says, pray for the givers. He doesn't say, we really need to pray for these people. They're a mess. No, they're out there. We really need to pray for us so that we can minister to the mess. In other words, we are to invest our time, our energy into the multitudes because this is where the next designated group emerges from. Inside the multitudes is another group of individuals that the King James Version designates as the crowds. Within the multitudes is the crowds. The crowds are a little more focused, a little more Christ-centric than the multitudes. Note their behavior in Matthew 13, 2. It says, great crowds were gathered together unto him. In Matthew 15, 30, the great crowds came to him. 
in Matthew 15, 31. So much so that the crowd wondered when they saw the dumb speak, the maimed uh, talk, the lame walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. You see where their focus keeps coming to? It keeps coming to the Lord. Everything they're seeing, everything they're connecting with is Christ-centered. They're a little bit more distinct than the multitudes. In Matthew 19, too, the great crowds followed him. They became followers out of the multitudes as consumers. Something made a connection, and they became followers. In Matthew 21, 9, the crowds who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They became like a peripheral ring around the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaimers of his name. Okay? In Luke eleven twenty nine, but the crowds pressing in on him. And in Luke fourteen twenty five, and great crowds went with him. The crowds of those individuals who are needy and maybe even start out as one of the multitude just trying to get a little something from the Lord to ease their hunger or their pain, but something connects in their spirit. They seem to develop a hope, a hope of being healed enough to follow or to give back a little something, although they are not always able to pay the price. And we see evidence of that in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, when Jesus is preaching at Capernaum. And he says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And it says a great crowd of disciples no longer followed him. You see, they connected with him, they connected with him, they heard him, they pressed in on his life, they wanted something, but then he, he came to a point where they said, whoa, that's my line, I can't do that. I don't even understand the dynamics of that, I'm not interested. That's as far as I can go walking with you. Then within the framework of the crowds, we have the crowd of his disciples, these would include the 500 mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15:6. Afterward, he was seen by over 500 brothers at one time, of whom the greater part remain until this day, but some have fallen asleep. Then there's the 120 in Acts chapter 1. And in those days, Peter stood in the midst of, his, of the disciples and said, and the number of the names together was about 120. Hmm? Then there's the 70. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he was about to come. And Luke 10, 17, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us through your name. See, so out of that, out of that crowd that has emerged into a place of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a crowd of disciples develop who take the next step. Not only do they want to be near him, they want to experience the things that he does. They want to connect with the power of the kingdom. 
These are individuals who have made a decision to follow Christ. They have been exposed to him. They pray to him. They know the power of his name, and they are willing to represent him in ministry, ministry to the church and to the world at large through evangelism, preaching, and power gifts such as healing and deliverance. And then within that framework, there are the 12, specifically called out by the Lord and separated for a more intimate level of ministry. The 12, he desired their company at his last Passover meal before he suffered. In Luke 22:14, when the hour came, he and the 12 apostles with him reclined, that is, they sat at a dinner table, And he said to them, with desire, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So these 12 were part of the desire of the heart of the Lord. Not only were they drawing from him, but he was purposely investing in them. There was a connection, an investment that went beyond just ministry, beyond training. It went to a level uh, of shared intimacy. This was a love relationship. Okay? He desired their companionship and prayers during his agony in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. And going out according to his custom, he went to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said to them, Pray that you do not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he kneeled down and prayed. Okay, so these 12 were with him in his agony in the garden. They experienced, or should have experienced, uh, the pain and the depth of, of his suffering, of what the uh, church calls his passion, his passion. Falling away at this level is either by betrayal, like Judas, or by an act of willful denial by Peter. That's how intimate this relation, this is like divorce level. And you can't just walk away from your marriage. You have to go through a very painful process, a tearing and a rending and, and legalities and all of this. It's the same thing when you're at this level of relationship with the Lord. You can't just casually walk away. It's a painful thing. There is an expected steadfastness and faithfulness that offers the Lord himself as the reward. In Ezekiel 44, 15, uh, the Lord describes this through the prophet. He says, But the priests and the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the rest of the sons of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, says the Lord Jehovah. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. True worshipers, true worshipers, legitimate intercessors, the Mother Teresas of the world, 
the praying partner in a broken marriage, the pleading mother or grandmother of the alcoholic or drug addict, they capture his heart, and he captures theirs. There's a level of intimate connection that takes place here. Then, of course, within those 12, there are the three. It says in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. In other words, he brings these guys up to a place up on Mount Hermon and gets in their presence, and he literally takes away his fleshly appearance and lets them see him as he is. He's transfigured before them into his heavenly presence. Now this is so powerful that when he did this, Moses and Elijah showed up on the scene. Right? (laughs) I mean... Can you imagine being that intimate with the Lord? Then he goes, check this out. Oh. <laughs> wow. No? Absolutely breathtaking. These are those who catch a glimpse of his glory and are those who are called to come up here. Come up here. They are people of vision who have been knocked off their high horses of pride and self-assurance and desire to know nothing except Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There's no price too high to pay. Where do I fit is the question. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, out of the Message Bible, says this, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living, then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misrepresent yourselves as people who are bringing the goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. I hope you have noticed that in all of these verses there has been no condemnation expressed toward any of these groupings. Even the great multitudes, the consumers, the getters, every time he looked at them, it says he was moved by compassion. Moved by compassion. Moved by compassion. The more they needed, the more he'd give. But there is always a sense of invitation from the Lord toward them to move up the ladder, as it were, to a place a little closer to him. My question for you today is, 
Is he calling you up? Are you hearing? And in this dialogue, in these scriptures, are you finding, gee, you know, I, I fit there? If you fit there, my question is, do you want to sit there? Just because you fit doesn't mean you ought to stay there. Let's do this. Let's just pause a moment. I'd like you to just quiet your hearts and ask the Holy Spirit this question. Where am I? In the scheme and structure of your kingdom as revealed by your word, where am I today? And Lord, will you move me on?